1: No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello? Anybody home? No, sir. Today,
3: I want you to open your mind. I've almost come to the conclusion that the story is so damning, that the mass of people can't
4: deal with it. We are in process of developing a whole series of techniques to get people actually to love their servitude. We face a hostile ideology, global in scope, atheistic in character, ruthless in purpose and insidious in method. We are opposed around the world by a monolithic and ruthless conspiracy that relies primarily on covet means for expanding its sphere of influence
5: to change the minds and the attitudes and the beliefs of the people of the world and especially the United States Broadcasting from the Sonoran Desert in the great state of Arizona, I'm Ryan Gable, your host, and this is The Secret Teachings Radio. If you'd like to contact the show, you can email us at rdgable at yahoo.com. That's rdgable at yahoo.com. Find us on Gab and Gitter, and also find us on our lar- larger social media page, facebook.com forward slash the secret Teachings. I'd like to welcome you all to the show, no matter where and when you are listening around the world. If you're listening in the free archive on our website or on the many radio and podcast players, welcome to the show. A special welcome and thank you to all of you listening in the advertisement free archive with the private RSS feed and the download feature in the embedded player on our website, along with our montages and digital books. When you subscribe, you get access to all of that, and all of you who have subscribed, certainly support this show and help us to do what we do Monday through Friday, five nights a week, here on The Fringe FM. Visit www.thesecretteachings.info for that, as well as my books, our affiliate sponsor, Pro One Water Filters, and you'll find a link there, but you can also go to Patreon to find the show. Patreon.com or the link on our website for behind the scenes content and more. Just search The Secret Teachings. I read an article the other day, and like most of the news I read, I try to archive certain things that we discuss so I can go back into that archive and pull those things out when similar stories come to my attention. And over the years, we've discussed so many different things that my attention is pulled in uh, endless directions. And maybe sometimes it becomes difficult to identify what this show really is. Obviously, we discuss things that are so widely separate from one another that are interpreted as political, as occult, as paranormal, as fringe. I try to look at them all as part of the same mixed bag that is our daily and yearly and lifetime experience, what we call life, all the things we interact with. I think there's a unification of all these different topics that we can bring together to give us a better understanding of what's going on rather than isolating everything to a paradigm of polarity, to a left-right paradigm of politics, or to the very, very common fallacy of you're either with us or you must be our enemy. And you could be with us or you could be our enemy, not just in politics, but in things that, although they are political, they're not always a political subject. They could be things that are scientific. They could be things that are fringe and things that are paranormal. Paranormal investigators, they don't like you questioning what they investigate any more than... Scientists like you questioning their findings or their theories. People that are interested in the occult likewise don't like you questioning those occult views and beliefs and their interpretations of the symbols and the archetypes any more than an archaeologist likes you to identify you know, a flaw in their theory or another way to look at it. People don't like that, and I think that's because of ego. And uh, that's something that we all have also a necessary part of what makes us human, but the, uh, the part and the process of, uh, of the ego and the process of, of, of evolving the ego and the self is part of the alchemical transformation that is, I think, one of the core pillars of this radio show. And what alchemy is, is a spiritual transformation. It is the slaying of the beast and the overcoming of uh, excessive emotion and utilizing internal psychological and spiritual mechanisms to animate the physical world and to make the world a better place. And one of the things that inhibits that growth is when we are afraid of things. We watch the news, we listen to radio, we read books. not saying these are bad things, I love reading. I'm saying when we read or we interact with things that scare us, when we're afraid of disease or we're afraid of climatic changes, it inhibits us from doing things that might actually make us healthier or might actually make our environment safer, and perhaps we might not suffer the same kind of destruction from climatic changes if we were to just calm down and take a deep breath. I saw this article that I've been saving, and it's all about the United Nations and their governmental panel, their intergovernmental panel on climate change. And I want to read to you the first two sentences of this article. It was published on March 9th by the USA Today. And here's what it said. People are dying from more intense heat waves, hurricanes, and flooding. Forests are disappearing because of worsening wildfires, droughts, and pest invasions. Rising sea levels are basically destroying coastlines, communities, ecosystems, etc. And the article goes on to say that this new report put out by the United Nations Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, the IPCC, found that life in some parts of the world is rapidly reaching the point where it will be too hot for the species that lives there to survive. Now, there's a lot to unpackage, In those first two sentences and in that additional statement from the IPCC, let's quickly unpack the latter statement that some parts of the world are going to be too hot for species to survive. When I first moved out here to Tucson, Arizona, we have a little, uh, it's like a... It's like one of those uh, boxes that you put on the TV and you can get some of the local TV stations. It's kind of like an antenna, but it's it's not really, I mean, I guess it is. it has an antenna, but it's some kind of special little device that somebody gave me. So we get like eight channels. And I turned on the local news just to see what was going on in Tucson. And as some of you might know, here in Tucson and just south of us into Mexico and a little bit north of the of the city, and and there are some up in Phoenix as well, but we have these beautiful saguaro cactuses here, or the saguaro cacti. These are the famous cacti that you see in the silhouettes and in a lot of Western movies, and they only grow here in the American Southwest and in Mexico. And the news report was saying that these cacti are being affected by climate change, and that if we had more water here in the desert that these cacti might be able to grow a little bit better and they might be able to reproduce a little bit more easy and uh, maybe we would have more of these Saguaro. And the whole idea was we need to bring more water and reduce drought in the desert. Well, sure, I mean, we live in the desert here, so obviously if you live in a desert, you've been to a desert, there's not a lot of water, regardless of really what the climate does if you're in a desert. It's a desert. There's not a lot of water. But here's the idea that struck me. The idea was, wait a minute. They're saying that in order to save these cacti, we need to basically alter the desert environment. And I thought, if you're altering the desert environment, it's no longer a desert environment if you're bringing more water to the desert. Now they didn't say let's bring so much water that we turn this into a green, you know, uh, a green uh, place like you know, I don't know, any any forest, uh, you know, Pacific Northwest, for example. They just said let's bring more water, but it's like this idea that the desert is the desert. It's beautiful. It has this this draw to it. We have these beautiful cacti that we don't have anywhere else in the world because it's a desert. And people choose to live here. I choose to live here. The water might not be so great, but that is a trade-off for living here. The idea that we can adjust nature, the idea that we can, let's just bring more water to the desert. Let's water these cactuses more. Now, these cacti don't need a lot of water. I mean, that's we know a cacti, it absorbs the little bit of water it gets and it sustains itself for long periods of time. And these things last, you know, they live 300 years, some of them. Some may be longer, on average, about 200 years. These are very resilient plants. And again, it's a desert. And this is what I call situational bias. If you're in your car and it's really hot and you hear a news report and that news report says, hey, look around you. Don't you feel that heat? This is global warming. And the same thing if you were in a car and it was really cold and snowing and you heard a news report that said this is global cooling. I mean, your situational bias confirms that. We're in a desert, it's hot, it's dry. It must be climate change. We're in a car, it's hot. I'm sweating. Even with the AC on, it must be climate change. Hey, it's cold, it must be climate change. Now, the other thing that I want to unpack is the first statement in that article. People are dying from more intense heat waves, hurricanes and flooding. Forests are disappearing because of worsening wildfires, droughts and pest invasions. And of course, there are rising sea levels. Let's unpack all of those things real quick. Number one, sea levels have risen about one foot since around the midpoint of the 1800s. That's a really important piece of information that we should have if we're talking about sea levels rising. Sea levels have risen in the past 150 years, and we've only been engaged in, I would say, excessively or aggressive industrialization For a little bit less than that. So the sea levels have risen with or without human activity. And we have adapted to those sea level rises. And as sea levels might rise a little bit here or a little bit there. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not
0: with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for It is Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win?
5: You know what I mean? It only affects us if we have buildings, we have towns, we have cities that we build near water. And I grew up in Florida and I had uh, probably a dozen or so experiences with hurricanes. And, you know, the rest of the country watches as these hurricanes strike Florida. That's where I was in St. Petersburg, Florida. And we'd always get the storm surges and a lot of St. Petersburg would flood But that's because St. Petersburg, a lot of it is built on artificial fingers that are built off of the little tiny peninsula that is St. Pete. And then they build more of these artificial fingers off of this peninsula. So it's a peninsula on a peninsula on the state, which itself is a peninsula. And it's basically in the Gulf of Mexico. And then people honestly wonder, why did my house flood when there was a storm surge? Because you built your house literally on artificial land in the ocean. And then people use that as proof of climate change. More situational bias. But sea level rises have been occurring for at least 150 years. That's context that we desperately need. The USA Today and the IPCC tell us, and this is part of the alarmism, this is part of the fear and the terrorizing of the entire world population. You hear this almost every day. Anywhere you look in the press, you're going to find stories like this. They tell us there's more heat waves, there's more hurricanes, there's more flooding, forests are disappearing. All of this without any context. According to the UN, the same UN, that's the same United Nations, there is a, quote, lack of evidence and thus low confidence regarding the sign of trend in the magnitude and or frequency of floods on a global scale end quote. The UN says, quote, trends in floods are strongly influenced by changes in river management, end quote. In other words, if we never adapt to changes in water levels in the ocean or rivers, we never prepared for storm surges or natural annual overflowing of rivers, we never built dams, we never built dikes, etc., 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 then it's likely we, we would be suffering from more flooding. Same is true today as it would have been at any point in human history. And they tell us that there's more flooding because we have more damage from flooding. But from 1903 until 2018, putting all this data together, inflation-adjusted flood costs in the United States rose from a total of 3.5 billion to 12.8 billion. In financial economic terms, sounds like there's more flooding. But the UN just said there isn't more flooding. Despite the fact that the USA Today is saying there is more flooding. So, what's going on here? Well, the climate plays virtually no role in this increase in flood damage. The reason the climate plays virtually no role in this increase in flood damage is because we are building more properties, more homes that are larger, more expensive, and filled with more valuable things in places where there are usually floods, like those artificial islands or those artificial peninsulas. They're like little islands. You can just a tiny little bridge that connects to them in St. Petersburg, Florida, where I'm from. That's a great example. And when those houses that are usually very large, I had friends that lived out there. One of them had a much smaller house, but there were houses on his street that had three or four stories, big balconies and three or four fancy sports cars in the driveway, and they were literally living in the Gulf of Mexico. And then hurricanes would come through and just blow part of the house away, and then, oh, no, it's climate change. No, it's you built your house in the Gulf of Mexico, right? There are 750% more housing units as of 2017 compared with 1903, and those housing units are in places that flood And when those places flood and those housing units are damaged, they're bigger, they're more expensive, more valuables. That's why we've seen an increase in flood damage. But floods, generally speaking, have not increased. And if floods have increased in one area, they've decreased in other areas. This is part of a natural cycle. In fact, the cost of flooding based on the percentage of GDP, gross domestic product, from that same time period, 1903 to 2018, has actually declined. So they can tell us there's more flooding, and there might be in one area or another. We might have a lot of attention focused on one area or another, but in reality, there's actually less damage done in terms of GDP, even though there's more damage done to individual expensive houses. Like, to give you an example, if we build keeping things very simple because my mind doesn't work with numbers very well. But let's look at, let's say we build 10 houses and one of those houses is uh, a million dollars and the other nine houses are $10 and a hurricane comes through and for whatever reason, the hurricane destroys the one house that's a million dollars and the other houses that are $10, they're, they're not damaged. So, The damage was a million dollars. That gives kind of a a wrong idea, don't you think? If one property was damaged, that's where the increase in the cost came from, from the storm or the flooding. Same thing with fires. More people building more homes that are more expensive and larger with more valuables and high-risk locations. They say that fires are increasing, worsening wildfires. But the number of acres burned by the millions has actually declined since the 1930s and declined very sharply. Globally, the area burned has declined from 1.9 million acres, 1.9 million square miles, excuse me, to 1.4 million square miles over the last 100 years. There's been a decline in the uh, millions of square miles that have been burned in wildfires. And despite an increase in crop and pasture land burn, because we have more of it, areas of disturbed lands or recovering lands that have been burned have actually declined. And overall, there's been a steady decrease in fires and a decrease in damages over the last century of about a third. And this is in large part due to things like forest management, including the creation of fire breaks that the lovely liberal people in California don't like because we don't like to interfere with nature, but we don't understand why there are fires that tend to sweep through various parts of the state and burn multi-million dollar homes. Well, maybe you should work on some forest management in California. Same thing, we see pictures of hurricanes flooding streets, you know, they're causing these, these floods and we see storms and tornadoes and My friend Joseph Lavelle, who's with us tonight on the show in just a moment, he was saying there was a tornado in New Orleans. We see all these things, blowing debris, torrential rain, people stocking up on food and water. It's easy to think that storms are getting worse. But in reality, storms are not getting worse. Storms are actually getting less severe in most of the world. And we're actually able to adapt to these storms and we're able to adjust to things like flooding and fire and things like, uh, well, they tell us the forests are disappearing, but in reality, the forests are not really disappearing. We've got about the same forest coverage today that we had 20, 30 years ago. And there's a lot of reasons for that. We plant more forests. We preserve a lot of forests. We have places where, you know, we might get wood from trees, but those are kind of like, um, you know, protected areas that are, you know, they have trees that are grown specifically for that reason. And you know you put all this together and you recognize you know the the world isn't what we were told it was by media, and the world certainly isn't what we're told by the i p c c the world isn't falling apart there there are not you know more fires and floods and natural disasters in fact, far less people die today than They have at any point in the last 100 plus years from natural disasters. I think the number of people that die today is somewhere around like 5,000 a year. It might have been 3,000 last year. But back in the 1920s, it was half a million people died in natural disasters. You'd think with climate change, we'd have more people dying, but we actually have less people dying. The reason for that? Because humans adapt. Because humans innovate. Because humans use their knowledge and their wisdom and their intuitiveness, and we adapt to these environmental changes, whether they're natural or maybe even if they are man-made. We've had a reduction in climate-related deaths. We've had a reduction in so many of the bad things and an, in, uh, an increase in so many of the good things, like CO2 has actually made the world a greener place. CO2 actually prevents plants from losing water, therefore preventing droughts, and when we have droughts, In some places that are increased, and we focus on that, droughts in other places because of precipitation change, those droughts can actually end. We need to obtain some perspective on this because if we don't, we're going to make, as we already are, a lot of really bad decisions and spend a lot of money, trillions and trillions of dollars that could be used for other beneficial things in the process, and that's going to make the world a much worse off place. And part of that is something that, We're all feeling right now the increase in gas prices, and we're told if we just switch to electric, the world will be a better place. And we will save all this money, and we will be able to have a cleaner environment, although we have less pollution today than we did 10, 15, 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago. Less sulfur dioxide, less things in the atmosphere that are man-made pollutants and toxins, Tonight, we're going to talk about fossil fools and the idea that switching to electric can be the solution to all of our climate problems, when in fact, switching to electric might actually make the problem worse. We're going to talk with our good friend Joseph Lavelle tonight here on The Secret Teachings about electricity and the switch to this so-called renewable energy in these electric vehicles. I'm Ryan Gable. This is The Secret Teachings. Stay with us. Joseph, when we come back. It's the Secret Teachings Radio, one of the homes of the original Super Bowl analysis, exclusively airing on KTLK Digital Broadcasting, The Fringe FM.
3: Hello, folks. This is Jordan Maxwell. My website is
5: jordanmaxwellshow.com, and you're listening to The Secret Teachings with your host, Ryan Gable. Do you have everything you need to explore The Secret Teachings?
0: I've got my secret socks on and my secret TV and my secret TV channel.
5: Looks like SpongeBob's ready. Are you?
0: Hey, this is Charlie Robinson, and you are listening to The Secret Teachings with Ryan Gable.
5: are listening to The Secret Teachings Radio. I'm your host, Ryan Gable. Thank you so much for joining us this morning, this afternoon, tonight, whenever and wherever you are listening around the world. We'd also like to welcome new listeners on KPFV 98.1 in Perump. Going to be playing The Secret Teachings. want to thank them for that and welcome any new audience members there in Perump? Again, this is The Secret Teachings, and I am your host, Ryan Gable. Tonight, fossil fools. It's electric. We have this idea that we can switch to electric everything, and this will save the planet. Now, there's a lot to unpackage there. We're not going to do it all tonight because we don't have time.
0: But we need
5: to think about what it means to switch to all-electric. In fact, when we tend to do things that are supposedly for the environment or for the betterment of mankind, what ends up happening, and psychologists have a name for this, is we get this rebound effect. In fact, it's estimated about 59% of all emissions... Carbon dioxide emissions that you prevent by doing the right thing actually get spent on other things. In other words, when you stop your life and you try to do the right thing, you go out and you get a bamboo toothbrush and you go out and you get an electric car. People develop this sense, and psychologists have a name for this as well, of moral licensing, That because you did something good, you have a license to do something not so good. Basically, people feel morally superior and virtuous for doing things that are supposedly better for the environment. We also know that people who donate to charity, honestly, are the least likely to say that they donate to charity. And the people that don't donate to charity are the people that are more likely to say that they do donate to charity. And the same thing is true when you apply that to Democrats and Republicans. Democrats are much more likely to tell you that they're doing things for the environment, that they're working for the betterment of of nature, that they're donating to charity, and yet they don't do any of these things or they only do things that make their lives better and they don't think about other people. And that's really you know, at the core of the whole climate change discussion is we have to help poor people. They're going to be affected more than anybody else. We have to help Minorities, because we need climate justice, but in reality, some of the poorest parts of this planet, Africa in particular, which, if climate change is a real thing as we're being told, is going to be devastated by climate change over the next hundred years. But devastation is probably too much of a of of a strong, implicating word. They'll feel some effects, but if they don't get themselves out of poverty, or we don't help them get themselves out of poverty in some way. Then they're going to fill climate change in a much more dramatic way than if they otherwise had acquired some more wealth and were able to innovate and adapt to changes in the environment, which is what wealthy nations can do. So, you know, when you have this idea that we can simply switch to electric cars and the problem goes away, or we can simply switch to eating lentils and the problem goes away. I think we're really missing the point. And that is something that's now a viral meme all over the Internet, this article from Bloomberg about inflation. It says, Inflation stings most if you earn less than $300,000. Here's how to deal with it. And they give you a list of of ideas here on how to deal with it. And I want to bring my friend on here, Joseph Lavelle, to talk with us about this subject, Joseph studies economics, and he has a pretty good understanding, far better than myself, of uh, electrical vehicles that we're going to be focusing on tonight and this idea of renewable energies and, and what that can do for us. Uh, Joseph, how are you?
2: Good. How are you doing, Ryan?
5: I'm doing fantastic. Did you read this article from Bloomberg?
2: I had not read it yet, but it sounds pretty insane. <laughs> let,
5: let, let me share this with you, and then let me share this with the audience of, of what exactly is this Bloomberg article telling us to do. It was written by Teresa Gillarducci, and uh, she's writing for Bloomberg, one of the richest men in America who has, I think the last time I checked, 13 mega mansions. So he gets 13 mega mansions, and his newspaper magazine says that you should do the following if you're having trouble paying your bills. Here are some of the things that you can do, Joseph. You can take public transportation. And if things are really expensive at the pump for a long period of time, you should consider selling your car, getting rid of your car. You don't need your car. You can take the bus. You might have to wear a mask, but you got to take the bus because you just can't afford gas anymore. Just sell your car. You could also choose lentils and beans over meat. Personally, I've got no issue with that, but I don't think I should be taking meat out of the mouths of other people. I think people should have a right to choose what they're consuming. And when we talk about things like, you know, meat consumption and uh, ending meat consumption to save the environment, people often forget that if we're talking about carbon emissions, we're talking about a very sl- small, slim slither of an individual's overall carbon footprint. We're not talking about removing half their carbon footprint as a lot of vegans believe or vegetarians believe. We're talking about removing a small, slim slither of their food carbon footprint, which is a much tinier segment and much tinier percentage. We're talking in you know, almost random numbers here, insignificant numbers, but this is what we're being told to do. Sell your car, take public transportation, eat lentils, and of course, if you have a pet – you might want to consider those costly medical needs and not paying them and letting your pet die. So this is what we have, Joseph. We have sell your car, take public transportation, eat lentils, and if your pet is a little sick, feeling under the weather, just let them die because you don't have enough money to take care of your pet. I mean, this doesn't sound like it has anything to do with the environment. It sounds like elitists preaching to the rest of society on how they should live and how Bloomberg can have 13 houses, but how you should kill your dog and eat lentils to save the planet. This is a little bit megalomaniacal.
2: Right, and isn't it wasn't the point talking about how to deal with inflation, not really dealing with the environment.
5: Well, precisely, and then they weave that in, right? They weave in right. the environmental angle, just like with Ukraine. In fact, I still have the meme on my computer. I don't know if you heard me read this before. It says, yes, gas prices are high, but hey, we can choose to travel less. We can choose to carpool, bicycle, walk, and take public transportation. Ukraine cannot. I don't know what that means because I've seen plenty of Ukrainians bicy- bicycling and you know driving cars in the middle of all of this. And basically what they've done is they've just recycled climate propaganda for War propaganda, and they're using that for now inflation and gas price propaganda. It's the same propaganda, whether it's the environment, inflation or war, the solution to everything. We can stop Putin. We can fight back at the pump and we can save the environment if we just eat lentils and sell our cars. It's the same argument every single time we turn on the news. I'm wondering where that argument's coming from.
2: Yeah, it sounds like somewhere beyond... The boundaries of the United States, for sure. It's something that would be a global progressive idea, not really something that most Americans would think about on their their day to day lives of how I'm going to deal with inflation. I'm just going to
5: kill your dog, you know, stop, cat,
2: kill my kill my animals, stop eating meat, don't don't drive my car so I don't have to get to work. I'm just going to hunker down. Basically, inflation is too bad, so let's have a, a monetary lockdown of America rather than a health lockdown of America.
5: This is the next phase. As we said before, it is a pivot from a pandemic, a pandemic pivot to a geopolitical pivot And an economical pivot that will then, of course, it's all interconnected and like a revolving door will pivot back around to potential so-called outbreaks of disease. And it'll just be a usage of disease and war and economic issues that will slowly bring us into the Great Reset that doesn't exist. But I do have a copy of Klaus Schwab's book here called COVID-19 and the Great Reset. And that is what this is all about, because they tell us on the WEF's website, you're going to eat less meat. You're not going to have a car. You're not going to own much, but you're going to like it. And that's what this is all about. It doesn't matter if it's war. It doesn't matter if it's inflation, gas prices, or it's climate change. It's the same argument. It's the same talking points. And I think that that is a really obvious thing by now. I I wish more people could see how these talking points are the same across a, a, a seemingly vast spectrum of different topics and different events and and different things that we experience in our daily lives. It's the same talking points. It's coming from the same place.
2: Exactly, and you have different agencies like the International Energy Agency, the IEA. They just put out a press release on, I believe it was March 18th, outlining a 10-point plan to cut oil use. And they say that developed economies, so advanced economies, because we can afford it. You know, these developing economies, they can continue to use fossil fuels and continue to use oil. But they put out this 10-point plan. What was interesting to me, caught the eye of a lot of other people too, was point number three. They propose car-free Sundays in large cities. So I did the math on this proposal here. They say that, it would save, oh, what was it? It was 0.4 million barrels per day if you eliminated just one day of driving. So that's across all of the advanced economies in the world, so mostly Europe, United States. So if we divide 0.4 million barrels per day into the 45 million barrels per day that advanced economies use, in the world, you get 0.9% of all oil use. So if you, if you extrapolate that out to a full week, just eliminate cars completely, all it's going to do is eliminate 6.3% of advanced economy oil use, which ultimately is only 2.8% of the entire world oil use. If you had everybody And all the wealthy nations across the world completely stop driving their fossil fuel cars.
5: And this would... Not I'm sorry, go ahead.
2: I was just going to say, not to mention, if you switch to electric, you're still using fossil fuels to produce all of the components that go into that.
5: Yes, and we're going to discuss that in detail tonight as well. Again, the show is Fossil Fools. I'm Ryan Gable. This is The Secret Teachings. We have Joseph Lavelle with us tonight to discuss these things. And you're right. I'm glad that you did the math on that. It is such a small percentage. This is where we get into, I think, a fallacy and, and we miss a lot of context because people will talk about how if we do this with cars, if we do this with planes, if we do this with meat, if we do this with maybe getting rid of our animals, all these little percentages that we can chip away at the oil usage and fossil fuels and carbon emissions, we could maybe you know stop global warming. But the, if, the thing is, you know, if you, if you think about it for a minute, what we're basically being told is you can't drive anymore, you can't fly anymore, you don't have access to eat what you want to eat despite the abundance of food in the world, you can't even have a pet, a companion anymore because that's bad for the environment. This is basically taking humans back to the Stone Age and eliminating any kind of economic development which leads us. To a position where we are able to innovate and we're able to adapt and we have the wealth to educate ourselves and to create new technologies and uh, new medicines and to make the world a better place. That's what wealth does. But if we stop that progress, then what happens is society grinds to a halt. Everything economically collapses. People starve to death. And the few people that, like Bloomberg, who get to have mansions and boats and lots of cars, they get to keep living and eating the meat. Just like V for Vendetta, He got the butter, the real butter from Chancellor Suttler's supply train. The Chancellor still gets to eat real butter. You have to eat fake stuff, if you even get access to fake stuff. The rich, wealthy people get to continue to live the same life with their private jets. The rest of us have to stop driving, have to stop flying And we have to isolate ourselves in micro apartments. I mean, this has been what some have called a conspiracy, but this has been an open conspiracy now for decades. And we have the World Economic Forum and the UN outright telling us this is the plan for the future. And we always wondered, how is this going to be rolled out, Joseph? How are they going to get people to stop driving cars? People love cars. We got so many TV shows about cars (laughs) from the old, you know, Pimp My Ride with I think it was Ice Tea. To all the, you know, the top gear and all these TV shows people love and people love fast cars and movies and they work on their cars. But how are we going to get people to stop driving? Well, let's just incrementally introduce the idea that maybe if gas is too high, sell your car eventually. But in the meantime, just don't drive on Sundays. I mean, I would imagine the economic you know, impact from that would be far worse than the reduction of a few million barrels of oil
1: Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
2: For sure. And we also have a lifeblood of a lot of governments revolves around oil consumption too. It's like 25 cents of every gallon we use on gasoline is goes to the federal government and then each state tax on uh, percentage or, you know, X amount of cents per gallon goes to the states too. So that's a revenue source for them that just dries up. But then we get into the other aspect of things, which the federal government doesn't really need tax money when they just print it. So,
5: As you pointed out as well, U.S. HR House resolution, that is 6968, this so-called importation ban on Russian energy, including oil, If you look at the the document, it explicitly says that it does not halt contracted or agreed upon oil from entering the country, which is virtually all Russian oil. So the ban is just a worthless PR stunt that justifies increasing prices and what will likely be record profits for oil companies while the blame is placed on Putin. And in the case of the 1970s, Putin is now the new peak oil scare. And these companies are going to make a lot of money, not to mention uh, we discussed this on our show, No Oil for Blood, that the U.S. is already uh, permitting over 13.9 million acres of land that is available and permitted to companies to drill on in the United States, not to mention offshore as well. But 13.9 million acres are not even being utilized that are already permitted. And the oil companies are coming to Joseph Biden and saying, hey, we need more permits but they've got 13-plus million acres they already can drill on. So what is the issue here? I mean, we've got so many different elements that just look like it's an artificial situation, just like in the 1970s, except this time it's a little bit worse.
2: Yeah, and everyone's pointing the finger at each other. You have the Biden administration pointing the finger at the oil companies saying, hey, you've got all the permits that you need, and then the oil companies are pointing back at the, Administration saying, well, we don't have the ability to develop the infrastructure to build pipelines to get the oil from places where you have given us these permits back to market. But another thing that people don't realize with the oil companies is that when they have reserves in the ground, it increases the value of their stocks to investors. Investors are willing to lend more money because they say that they have these oil reserves that are untapped, so it's future revenue. So they're holding driving, on to them. Yep. They're driving up their stock prices by holding on to them as an asset on their books.
5: So basically what you're saying to me is that the current White House, which is very opposed to fossil fuels and oil companies, is actually making fossil fuel companies a lot richer.
2: Exactly. It's just good I mean, if you look at the Obama administration, the same sort of a thing happened with the shale oil, with the stock buyback programs that were going on with the easy money by the Federal Reserve. And they were able to buy back shares, all all the cheap money floating around, buy back shares, push up prices and have these artificial high record profits all across the board. It wasn't just the oil industry. It was. Pretty much every industry. But we see a similar situation, but with the oil companies right now, with holding on to these permits that basically add assets to their balance sheet.
5: And this has also been happening with big corporations. Remember the so called lockdowns that encouraged, and in fact, in some cases, uh, people were threatened or fined for doing the opposite if they opened their business or whatever, a small business people were encouraged and threatened to go to big box stores to shop. And that was primarily, and uh, I'm not a conservative, for the record, for anybody listening who's new, but that was primarily left-leaning liberal states and governors that encouraged, don't go to small businesses, go to big corporations. And then the same left-leaning Democrats have been all over the news saying that these companies now are making record profits, these big corporations and they need to be stopped. This is horrible capitalism out of control when it was their policies and lockdowns that led to these companies making billions of dollars. Again, it sounds, I'm not saying conservatives aren't corrupt, they are, it sounds like they're doing the same thing with those big companies from lockdowns that they're now doing with the oil companies. We're against big corporations and oil, but we're also helping them make billions of dollars.
2: Absolutely. They just, it's a, roundabout system where both both sides, Republicans and Democrats, are both guilty. Absolutely. etuating the system. And they play off of each other. They play off of public perception. And it's all political theater to enrich each other. It's a big game. And we aren't allowed to participate.
5: We're not playing in the big game. That's right. You mentioned the International Energy Agency. I printed the press release For March 18th, 2022, it says, as part of their 10-point plan that involves driverless Sundays, the short-term actions it proposes, this plan, include reducing the amount of oil consumed by cars through lower speed limits, working from home, occasional limits on car access to city centers, that one gave me goosebumps, cheaper public transport, more carpooling, and other initiatives, and greater use of high-speed rail and virtual meetings instead of air travel. And I can't help but think a lot of these were the same things that Lockdown provided us an introduction to, working exclusively from home, more virtual meetings. I mean, this is exactly what Lockdown did, and now they're using, they're recycling the same thing for rising gas prices. I mean, again, like the rhetoric. The solution to the problem of gas prices and the solution to the problem of supposed oil shortages or, you know, war and things like this is just don't drive as much. Just, you know, take uh, public transport. Maybe you should think about virtual meetings. This is this is the same thing that we were told with lockdowns. We're being told virtually the exact same thing now because of oil and gas. I mean, that that's coming from, again, the same place that's coming from the world economic form among others. It's the same exact thing. It's
2: just a coincidence, right?
5: Totally just a coincidence. Yeah, and so, <laughs> it, so is this. The Nas- I, I saw this too, Joseph. I think you might have sent this to me. The National Highway Traffic Safety Administration says higher levels of automation, they're talking about self-driving and driverless cars, but obviously the self-driving car, as I said in my book, The Technological Elixir, was just a precursor, a beta test, to get people used to the idea of cars driving, by themselves and then that will sell you the idea of a driverless car where maybe unless it's an emergency you can't access the vehicle's uh uh, steering wheel, gas, and brake. It's all autonomous. And the National Highway Safety Traffic Administration says, um, or Traffic Safety Administration says, remove the human driver from the chain of events that can lead to a crash. Just remove the human from the car entirely. So if you do want to drive, if you can afford to own a very expensive electric autonomous vehicle, it will decide where you go and when you go there. It's kind of like that old idea, in Soviet Russia, car drives you. Yes, this is the new model and the new paradigm. In the Great Reset, car drives you. You don't drive car, Joseph.
2: No, not at all. and It seems unfathomable to a lot of us right now, but all of this is being done in a progressive manner to get these younger generations accustomed to these new ways of operating masks will be normal driverless cars will be normal and you will like it and you'll be happy
5: You will like it yeah.
2: you don't know any different
5: that's what a uh, an article i read on a show i think it was last week it's from the uk and it said that you will uh, you'll own no car and uh, you'll be happy about it. And I thought, is did Klaus Schwab write this article? And let me check on it. it. was some female reporter. And uh, she probably was working for the World Economic Forum. And uh, it just outright used the talking point that apparently doesn't exist. But mainstream media is using it to tell you, you won't own any vehicle. Go ahead and sell the vehicle. And you'll like it. I mean, you know, there's a couple of things here, too. It's like the idea that we should just forego medical treatment for a pet. A lot of people in conservative and alternative media say, hey, they're telling you to kill, their, kill your pet. They're not really telling you to kill your pet. They're just saying, well, maybe just think about it. It's too expensive. Just let your dog or your cat die. They've suffered long enough. You can't afford the medicine. But that is the beta test. That is prepping you for a year or two years from now when the next step is, well, we're going to ban the number of pets you can own and you have to register them to just control every aspect of your life. I mean, it's almost like, an affluent version of, you know, in socialist countries, they don't have enough food, so they have to eat their pets. This is like an affluent version of that so, that form of socialism. This is, we have some money, so we can still eat. It's just really expensive, and we should just get rid of our pets by choice. We don't have to eat them. Let's just let them
1: die.
2: Right, and if you don't choose to because you love your pet, well, this puts it in the back of your mind. If you care about the climate, well, then maybe next time you know, after your pet passes, you're not going to get another one.
5: That's right. Because
2: you're about the environment. So it's a little insertion. It's a suggestion that people who buy into all of these talking points are going to basically take the heart and implement it themselves and think that it was their idea. You know, I'm not going to get another pet now because it's going to save the environment. It's. I I didn't kill my dog, but I'm I'm doing a good thing because I didn't kill my dog. I'm just not going to get another one. No more
5: pets. No more pets, Joseph. No more children. It's just, it's destroying the planet. I mean, you shouldn't fly either, they say. Uh, But here's the the statistical data on that. 4.5 billion people fly a year on average. And if you decided that all 4.5 billion people just wouldn't be allowed on a plane or by choice they chose not to fly, it's estimated that That would reduce the overall temperature over the next hundred years by 0.05 degrees Fahrenheit. Not a lot of temperature reduction for the amount of societal, civilized, and economic upheaval that never flying again would probably cause. I'm Ryan Gable. This is The Secret Teachings. Joseph Lavelle with us tonight to talk about fossil fools. This is The Secret Teachings. More after this. Stay with us.
4: Facebook.com forward slash The Secret Teachings or visit the website at www.thesecretteachings.info
6: You're listening to The Secret Teachings. For more information on the show or to contact Ryan, visit thesecretteachings.info
5: or email Ryan at rdgable at yahoo.com. Hey there, this is Greg Carlwood
0: of The Higher Side Chats, and you're listening to The Secret Teachings with Ryan Gable That's chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues.
5: Welcome back to The Secret Teachings Radio. I'm your host, Ryan Gable. If you'd like to contact the show, rdgable at yahoo.com. If you're listening on one of the many radio and podcast players, please leave us a review at the bottom of that player. Let other people know what you think of the show. Leave us a couple of stars, maybe four stars, five stars, whatever you think we deserve here at The Secret Teachings. Remember, the show airs Monday through Friday. You can listen to the show for free pretty much anywhere. You can listen to radio and podcasts, and our website is one of them, thesecretteachings.info. Or if you want the ad-free version of the show that you can stream and download and a private RSS feed, plus our montage archive and digital copies of my books, subscribe to all of that in one place at www.thesecretteachings.info. The music tonight is White Bat Audio, and we are speaking with Joseph Lavelle, our good friend who has a background in economics, a lot better with numbers than I am, and we are discussing Fossil Fools. It's electric. That is the name of tonight's broadcast. We have this idea, and I'm not exactly sure if it is a matter of ignorance Or it is a matter of wishful thinking. But we have this idea that, like, we go to the gas station and fill up our car with gas and then turn the ignition key and it just starts. And we can drive, you know, depending on what kind of car you have, you can drive a couple hundred miles, some cars much further than others. And we think that, you know, because there are things like solar panels and there are things like electric cars that maybe we could just. Switch immediately to these things and life would be better and we wouldn't have to worry about climate change. And I mean, many people believe that solar and wind power are, and I think they certainly are, obvious replacements perhaps at some point for fossil fuels, but that they are the obvious replacements right now as if a single solar panel just magically operates like the ignition switch of a fully fueled vehicle. In reality... Efficiency and energy storage are just not technologically feasible for this to be the case at the moment. But that doesn't stop the global demand for electricity to replace all fossil fuels. And for that electricity, a lot of people don't realize this, to be generated through very inefficient means. And the efficient means that it's generated through include burning fossil fuels, particularly burning coal. Technology and infrastructure just are not available. And any full scale attempt to immediately replace all fossil fuels and all infrastructure would literally shut the entire world down and thrust billions of people into exposure, starvation, and death. And in the midst of all of this, we have people being pushed out of their cars, literally. We have Bloomberg News telling us if inflation is hurting you, If gas prices are hurting you, the best option could just be to have some lentils and beans. They literally say that. Eat lentils and beans and don't pay for medicine for your pet. And maybe if prices get too high, just sell your car and take public transport. This is the same type of propaganda being used for the war in Ukraine, which is what is being blamed on these rising oil and gas prices, despite the fact that there are millions of untapped acres, although it's a little bit more complex than that, that have already been licensed, and the so-called ban on Russian energy importation does not include contracted and agreed-upon energy, which is pretty much most of the Russian oil. So they're basically keeping this price at an artificially inflated number to make a lot of money, just like big corporations made a lot of money When everybody else was locked down and small businesses were harassed and terrorized, not necessarily by the police, but just by members of the community who liked to report when a business wasn't following CDC guidance. This is all part of something larger, especially when we have from the USA Today to the United Nations to Bloomberg all telling us and repeating the same rhetoric the environment is falling apart, floods. Fires, droughts, storms. And if you want to save the planet, don't have pets, don't have kids, don't drive. Get rid of your car and eat lentils. Individually, we can look at all of these things like, yeah, maybe if you can't afford to own a car, maybe you shouldn't have a car, but that's a personal decision. A car has immense benefits. You can go a very far distance with that car. You might be able to to get a job somewhere that you otherwise probably couldn't take, the city bus. Or it might take you an hour to get to work on a bus you could get to work in 20 minutes in a car. I mean, we don't even think about those little details, those little specifics. The quality of life that owning a vehicle brings or the quality of life that owning a pet brings. It's almost as if we're being conditioned to believe that not only should we not drive, we should not take vacations, we should not have personal decisions in the way that we live our lives in terms of transport where we go you know what our job is even but that we should do things you know from home and connect to this this digital environment and disconnect from social situations with others and we should pretty much just give up everything that makes us human everything that has made life better in the last 50 in the last 100 150 years Etc. Because life has gotten immensely better, but we're we're being conditioned to think that life is getting worse, despite the fact that less people die from climate disasters. There's actually less flooding, less fires. There's less severe storms. Yeah, damage increases because we have more expensive things, bigger things, more valuables in the path of floods, in the path of fires, in the paths of hurricanes, etc. But deaths are actually decreasing, and our exposure to these things are decreasing because we have more money. we become wealthier to adapt and innovate to be able to deal with these climate things, whether they are man-made or whether they are natural. When we have development and we have wealth, not only does that make life overall better, but it allows us to adapt to things that, in some places that are more developing, that are maybe considered third world, the number one thing on the average person's mind is where are they going to get food? Do they have access to clean water? They're not concerned about the environment because they need to get food or they're going to die. It is the most basic survival instinct. So it is incredibly arrogant and incredibly elitist to suggest that the rest of the world does not develop and the developed world stops development and we grind to a halt and then allow technocrats and billionaires like Bloomberg to decide where progress takes us next artificially. And it's not going to be taking us anywhere in our cars because we're being told by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration you're going to be out of your vehicle, and the International Energy Agency and their new ten-point plan, which involves no driving on Sundays, suggests the same thing that we experience with COVID lockdowns: work from home, do everything digitally. They also say that we won't have access to city centers, you know, in cars. On certain days, uh, you know, cheaper public transportation, just take public transportation, wear a mask while you do it, of course, and reduce your speed so you can't go where you want to go as quick as you want to go within the speed limit. I mean, this is all just recycled propaganda and psych warfare. Tonight with us is Joseph Lavelle. Joseph has studied economics for some time. He's a lot better with economics and numbers and I am, and he was talking to me on the phone the other day. We were discussing electrical vehicles because I was reading about these electrical vehicles, and I think they really are the pinnacle of the arrogance and the tax write-offs for the wealthy and the benefits for the wealthy. When we have people that can purchase a $50,000, 60000 $80,000 electric vehicle that then lecture people that can't afford to put gas in their car that they should get an electric vehicle because it'll save the environment. I mean, the, the arrogance, the conceit, the ignorance, it is absolutely stunning, Joseph.
2: Absolutely. There's just no way that someone who's barely scraping a few bucks together to fill up their tank with gas could ever afford an uh, electric vehicle. You have just the average household income in the US is $67,000. And to basically spend your entire year's wages on an electric vehicle would be irresponsible to basically mortgage your future and your financial livelihood on something that is ultimately only going to, you know, 2.84% reduction in oil consumption. And that's assuming an electric vehicle doesn't use any oil in the production of that vehicle at all. I mean, electric vehicles have tires, which are made of oil. There's components that have to be mined. There's no such thing as an electric earth mover or tractor or all of these heavy equipment machinery mechanisms that have to be done to basically mine all of the heavy rare earth metals out of the ground. So just to basically say, Oh, you're not able to afford an electric vehicle. Then you can't, you can't drive at all. You should have to stay at your house and work from home and not leave your house. Let's, let's go back to the lockdowns for you.
5: So basically they market these cars as having zero emissions, but in reality, It's the exact opposite. You know, if you have a a gasoline powered vehicle over its lifetime, when everything is factored in, and we've had these vehicles for a long time, and they've gotten immensely more fuel efficient, both because of the types of gasoline we use, the types of engines that have been built, and the cars obviously have gotten a lot lighter with different materials over, you know, uh, the last 50 years, you know, since the 1950s and 60s, they've gotten lighter, more efficient. So we've had a lot of investment in new types of technologies and, and whatnot for vehicles. So when you factor all that in, the average car that is gasoline-powered, Joseph, I found, emits 34 tons of carbon dioxide. That's the production process. That's the ownership of the vehicle, et cetera, up until the point where the vehicle is no longer you know drivable. It varies per car, but on average, it's 34 tons of carbon dioxide. We're being led to believe that electric cars produce Zero emissions. But like you just said, I mean, the tires are oil. The earth-moving equipment to to mine and to haul these materials that they have to, you know, dig out of the ground to make these cars and their batteries, those aren't electric, so there's emissions there. When you factor all of that into the electric car equation, an electric car doesn't emit zero emissions. It actually emits about 26 tons of carbon dioxide. Now, you can say, well, that's a lower amount than a gasoline-powered car. And it is, but there's context missing because even though it's a 24% reduction in emissions, you have to factor in some other things that aren't factored into that equation overall. And that is you usually can't drive as far. So you have to charge your vehicle and that electricity is being produced through burning fossil fuels. When you factor that in, And you factor in that most people don't keep their vehicles more than, you know, the average person who can buy a car like this does not keep their vehicle for more than a couple of years before they trade it in. What that means is you're looking at about the same amount of emissions, if not more, considering that when more people purchase these electric cars and plug them into the electric grid, that's more demand for electricity more fossil fuels burned, you end up with more carbon emissions from these electric vehicles because the technology is not presently there and that is present in the price of these vehicles and the components in order for them to be accessible to the average person and the battery life isn't as efficient and there's a lot of other factors that go into this but, but talk to us uh, about this uh, electric car scam and talk to us about these, these emissions because overall it's a small reduction but that gets eaten up really fast when you factor in all of these other unfactored elements into the equation.
2: Right. Uh, So basically with work, like let's use trucks, for example, you cannot defy the laws of physics. Work is a physics equation. It's force over distance. And you basically have to use the same amount of force over a certain distance to get the work done so trucks are good for hauling things uh, whether just people or if you want to haul say coal to a coal-fired power plant let's say let's use a, a ford f-150 as an example they've got three different engine types you can choose from if uh, you got the pure gas v6 engine uh, the maximum towing capacity on that vehicle is 14,000 pounds. Then you have the hybrid truck. The maximum vehicle towing capacity is 12,700 pounds. And then you have the pure electric Ford Lightning coming out this year. Maximum towing capacity on that base model is 7,700 pounds. So the pure gas vehicle costs 39,000 Pure electric costs 40000 So they seem pretty comparable until you start doing the math. So the pure gasoline vehicle gets 20 miles to the gallon in town, in the city, 26 on the highway. And the Ford Lightning, it can get 230 miles on a charge. So basically, if you were to take its from the Bureau of Labor Statistics, 14.8 cents kilowatt per hour for electricity. It would cost you $18.75 to charge your vehicle to go with 230 miles. Well, the V6 engine comes with a 23-gallon tank, so that allows 460 miles per fill-up. So let's double the electric to get the same apples-to-apples comparison. So it's 3750 in electricity costs right now to have your electric truck charged and it'll cost you 115 bucks to fill up the tank. So, well, what's the problem, Joe? 37 sounds a lot better than $115. Well, the problem comes when you need to get that work done. If you need that 14,000-pound towing capacity and you actually need that for work or you need to actually move something you can't, again, defy the laws of physics. You need to have that towing capacity. So the efficiency
5: Otherwise, is greatly reduced.
2: Exactly. Anytime you add any sort of weight, anybody who knows, tows knows if you add any weight to a vehicle, like towing a trailer, hauling thousands of pounds in the back of your rig, you're going to drop that 20 miles per gallon in town dramatically. The same is true for electric. We don't live in some magical fairyland where you're going to get the 230 miles per charge. You got, I mean, these vehicles are pushed in places like California where people drive probably about 200 miles in a day going to and from work. Well, this person is, say, a, a landscaper and they're hauling sod in the back of their vehicle to get to. A job site, they might not make it home with one of these electric vehicles just because the to- the range would not go 230 miles if you're hauling a whole truckload of sod. So basically, these trucks are not what they're touted to be. They basically tout these numbers that are only calculated by the EPA with zero load on them whatsoever.
5: So basically what... Is happening here is a complex, but once you figure it out, it's a very easy thing to understand. It's a complex numbers game where they say, look, these are zero emission cars. And well, that's true in the sense that they might not be emitting, you know, things from a tailpipe, but there has to be some production process to manufacture them. They don't just appear out of nowhere. So they have to be, you know, the materials have to be extracted. They have to be transported. And the energy that goes into producing an electric car is more than goes into producing a gasoline-powered car because there's a more intense energy process, particularly in manufacturing the batteries for these cars. And uh, I was also just reading, you know, the whole idea tonight is that the technology isn't fully there for electric, for so-called renewables. A lot of people think that they can just put a solar panel out in the sun for a few minutes anywhere in the world and it'll charge everything and every you know we should just why don't we use solar? It's the solution to everything, but the battery power isn't there. We don't have the batteries that can that can hold that charge. Um, I think the average battery only holds uh I forget what the number was I read. it was like the the average battery holds somewhere like 11 seconds of of power or something I guess it depends on where you're you know using these panels. But, you know, if you're getting direct sunlight, yeah, I mean, like here in Tucson, Arizona, it might be very beneficial. I've looked into it. But if you're living in the Pacific Northwest or you're living up in Canada, you're not going to get the same kind of effect out of solar panels. It's totally ineffective and inefficient until the technology advances and and the development goes into these things to make them more uh, cost effective. And the, the market will demonstrate that when those technologies are there. But... There is another angle to this, Joseph. Uh, You can go online and look this up uh, on pretty much any website. You can find numbers of of, of articles about it. Uh, But Tesla, you know, the electric car company, Tesla actually has an option for users, people that purchase their cars, that if you pay extra money once you buy the car, you can unlock a bigger battery. So the battery that's in the car can actually go further but it's locked and you have to pay tesla to access that quote bigger battery. What do you think of that?
2: Wait, so the the battery is already in the car, but they just can't use that extra towing or that extra range unless they pay that fee. Essentially so. It's so. In the car? Yeah, essentially okay. so.
5: So it's at the moment it's the Model S sedan. And it's a 70-kilowatt-an-hour battery, and it's actually a uh, 75-kilowatt-an-hour battery. But you have to pay to access that additional five. So, I mean, that's not a a huge difference, but it's the idea that if you pay Tesla $3,250, you can unlock a little bit of extra battery life. So that makes me question, where is the technology for these batteries? I think it's a hell of a lot more advanced than Tesla or anybody is leading on.
2: I would think so with the promise of Elon Musk with all these electric semis, again, going back to the the towing range, there's no possible way with what we currently know exists that these semi trucks are going to be able to do anything close to what he's saying that they can do. So, I mean, maybe the, maybe the battery technology is a lot better and, He's on the forefront of that and has access to that.
5: And that but. would that would be a good thing if that were the case, if that technology were more advanced. I mean, even if we had uh, hydrogen-powered vehicles, which I mean, those have been developed in the past. I mean, we even have gasoline-fueled vehicles today, like engines, I think, uh, mostly in Germany, uh, for, the, for the VWs. They get 100-plus miles a gallon. But they can't, as far as I understand, they can't export uh, to the U.S. They can't manufacture in the U.S., And uh, those engines uh, are pretty much outlawed in most countries. But, I mean, we have so much investment in these kinds of, um, you know, technologies that they've led us to immense advances where we we should be getting hundreds of miles more than we get in a typical gasoline-powered vehicle, let alone what we could get with, you know, going fully electric in, in the true sense of, like, fully developed, fully researched fully advanced electrical technologies, they might provide us with a better and more efficient future. But how much of that is actually being restricted and how much of that is being held back uh, maybe by the same types of interests that want us to continue to use fossil fuel? There's a lot of different angles to look at this.
2: Right. And you just look along that same with that same lens. If we are able to have more efficient vehicles say say that battery technology does exist and we do have access to that and it is a cost effective well that doesn't really benefit the people who are profiteering off of this current oil situation yes those people don't make those profits that they're currently making if you will focus on efficiency
5: and that's the, that's the case with the, uh, the the trucks and the case with, uh, you said, Elon Musk's semis. Maybe he knows or has some technology that, uh, that we're unaware of. But otherwise, you know, these vehicles aren't going to be able to have the same hauling capacity, as you said. So they're going to have to, I would imagine, uh, drive more and they're going to have to charge more. And that's going to put more of a strain on the grid. And that's going to mean we have to burn more fossil fuels to charge these things. And you're also driving more on, you mentioned this to me before, tires that are made of oil. So you're going to go through more tires. You're going to go through uh, maybe replacing more roads because asphalt is made with oil as well. So, yeah, maybe we reduce emissions in the manufacture and use of a car by a, a handful of percent, but that handful of percent gets gobbled up, and electric cars ultimately end up being more carbon spewing when you factor everything in that a gasoline powered vehicle. And that is the equivalent, I think Joseph of, you know, going to the store and thinking, you know what I need to buy. I don't know. You need to buy like a new pair of pants, right? And you sit there and you look at the pants and you're like, all right, this pair of pants or this pair of shoes, let's use shoes. This pair of shoes is a hundred dollars. This pair of shoes is $50, but you know, cause you've had the experience before. If you buy those $50 shoes, they're going to fall apart In about six months, if you buy the $100 shoes, they're probably going to last a couple of years. Same kind of a thing. It's cheaper. It looks better. It feels better. You're saving money, but in the end, you're getting a less efficient and a less quality product, and that doesn't benefit us when we're talking about things like vehicles especially. This isn't a pair of shoes. These are vehicles. This is transportation. This is the future of our civilization, and this needs to be taken, I think, a little bit more seriously than just simply putting billions of dollars into subsidies and giving wealthy people tax credits for having solar panels or electric cars when the average person can't afford to put gasoline in their car.
2: Right, and the infrastructure is just not there. I mean, if the infrastructure was there and there was a charging station on every corner, that that might work. But even the practicality of that, you think about that, a charging station, you'd still have to wait even with a rapid charger, you'd have to wait, according to Ford, 41 minutes to charge your your truck up to 80. percent. So, and if there's a line like at a gas station, and you're gonna be you're gonna be waiting for that 40 minutes in front of you, and 40 minutes maybe there's a couple people in front of you, you could be there half a day, you could be there all day. Not to mention a lot of these chargers, they only output a certain amperage, so. If you have one person plugged in, it could do you know the charge in forty-one minutes, like for touts. Well, if you got two people plugged in, it's gonna basically double that amount of time. So instead of waiting to get your charge in forty minutes, you're gonna be waiting an hour and twenty minutes to get that one charge. So I mean, just the the feasibility and the practicality of a lot of this, even though there might be good intentions the practicality of all of this doesn't make any sense with the way our current infrastructure is set up right now.
5: And the IEA also wants there to be 130 million electric cars on the road by 2030. They always use that same date, which is, I think, impossible in the sense that it's totally impractical, totally improbable because we've already spent billions on subsidies, billions on Tax credits, and we only have about 5 million electric cars on the road, is the last estimate that I checked. So even if you factored all this in and you got 130 million cars on the road that were electric, this would only reduce quote unquote carbon emissions by about 0.4%, which is pretty insignificant considering the ramifications of that. I'm Ryan Gable. This is The Secret Teachings. Joseph Lavelle with us this evening as our guest. More on Fossil Fools after this.
1: The
6: know a thing or two about extinction. And let me tell you, and you'd kind of think this would be obvious, going extinct is a bad thing. And driving yourselves extinct? In 70 million years, that's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. At least we had an asteroid. What's your excuse? You're headed for a climate disaster, and yet every year governments spend hundreds of billions of public funds on fossil fuel subsidies. Imagine if we had spent hundreds of billions per year subsidizing giant meteors. That's what you're doing right now. Think of all the other things you could do with that money. Around the world, people are living in poverty. Don't you think helping them would make more sense than, I don't know, paying for the demise of your entire species? Let me be real for a second. You've got a huge opportunity right now. As you rebuild your economies and bounce back from this pandemic, This is humanity's big chance. So here's my wild idea. Don't choose extinction. Save your species before it's too late. It's time for you humans to stop making excuses and start making changes. Thank you.
5: That is Frankie the Dinosaur at the United Nations. It reminds me of the David D's digital art where he has the reptilian politicians at the UN it's just too good and that came out back in 2021 and uh it's been circulating on the internet uh probably uh seen it pop up two or three other times it's kind of gone viral again just the idea that you know we're going to go extinct we're going to lose everything because of climate change and there's a A lot of things we can do to stop it. A lot of people don't even question the reasons behind enacting the types of policies and the types of conversations that we have. Uh, They don't even question why are we enacting those policies? Why are we having these conversations? Uh, What is wrong with the climate? What is wrong with the environment? It's kind of like we never really got an answer to why Vladimir Putin decided to go into Ukraine. It just kind of implied he's crazy, he's insane, he's evil, he hates Ukrainians, he wants to kill people. But we didn't get a real, true, honest reason. I mean, hell, I did a show called Rasputin last week, and literally the Telegraph newspaper said Putin is sick, he has a really bad back, and they literally said his bad back may have contributed to him entering into Ukraine. And I mean, you couldn't that sounds like the Babylon Bee. That sounds like an onion article. That it's it's worse than that. Because this this is media today telling us that Vladimir Putin invaded another country because his back was hurting. I mean they had they had other excuses too. They were like his back hurts. They said he coughed in 2021. He had a coughing fit. In two thousand 20, I think it was 2020 or 2021. It was like a year ago. It was 2020, actually, because I remember it being like a year or so ago. He had a coughing fit. He, he coughed his back. Oh, my back. You know, let's go get these evil Ukrainians. I mean, that's that's literally how stupid the media thinks we are. And that's what they're telling us about climate change, too. They tell us people are dying from more intense heat waves, although heat actually saves more people every single year than cold does. More people die from cold than people that die of heat. 7% of all deaths related to environmental exposures and things like this are caused by cold. Only 0.5% are caused by heat. So more people die from cold than die from heat. In fact, according to the Lancet, a study published in the Lancet in 2015 showed that 140,000 people die from heat every year. Two million die from cold. Studies suggesting heat waves will kill more people also assume that humans will not adapt and do things like buy air conditioners. In fact, one study actually acknowledges we are not factoring in that people are going to buy air conditioners. If nobody buys an air conditioner and nobody tries to stay cool, which is absolutely contrary <laughs> to human instinct then yeah more people will die but generally speaking heat is actually going to offset the number of potential um, you know uh, deaths because it uh, from so-called climate change because more people will actually be saved because of increased temperatures than would have otherwise died from cold we're not allowed to know that though and heat waves, they're not really getting worse. They're pretty steady over the last 100 years. And that is very clear in the statistical data. Heat waves have not gotten any worse from 1890 to 2020. According to the EPA, wildfires have burned less acres. That's because we're adapting. That's because we are creating fire breaks and we are Managing the forests well, unless you're in California, they do a really terrible job there because they love the environment so much they don't want to touch the forest. And, of course, less people die from climate disasters today than at any other point, probably in human history, at least over the last hundred years. In 1920, about half a million people died every year from climate disasters. In 2020, 2021, the number is so small that it is under about 5,000 roughly die from climate disasters every year. But the USA Today says, no, 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 no. You're not allowed to know that. The IPCC wants you to know that people are dying from heat waves. People are dying from hurricanes and flooding. Forests are disappearing. Droughts, wildfires worsening. They don't tell you, though, that although these are technically true statements, yeah, people die in heat waves. How many people are dying in heat waves compared to 100 years ago? How many people are dying in floods compared to 100 years ago? They don't actually show you the data on how many people are dying and how it's devastating lives. They just imply that by suggesting prices for these disasters have increased. Higher costs for fires and floods and storms. But there's a really simple explanation for that. And I learned this when I was living in Florida. That's where I'm from, St. Pete Beach. And we'd have storms come through, not even hurricanes. Bad enough storm water would come up from St. Pete Beach, come across the road, there where the Publix is. It sometimes would flood, you know, some of the hotels and flood people's, you know, homes a little bit and that's because they built their homes literally in the ocean. You drive out to St. Pete Beach, a lot of that area out there, wealthy people that are literally building on artificial fingers, artificial peninsulas on St. Petersburg, which is a peninsula on the state of Florida, which is a peninsula. They're literally building on artificial land built into the Gulf of Mexico. I mean, it's, it's just a pristine example of how we have this situational bias. I call it things are not getting worse and, you know, sea levels have risen about a, about a foot in the last 150 years. And uh, you know, the thing is, Frankie, the dinosaur is right. Uh, We have a tremendous amount of money that we're spending on things and, we could be spending that on helping poor people and helping people get out of poverty. Frankie the Dinosaurs right about that. We could be spending that money. But if you look at the Paris Agreement, for example, the Paris Agreement isn't based on science. It's based on what climate campaigners and environmentalists and people that you know are involved in government have suggested we need to do to keep the temperature at a certain percentage, uh, a certain uh, a number, uh, reducing the temperature by anywhere between two to four degrees over the next hundred years by reducing carbon emissions. And they they don't tell you that that's not based on science. And then they asked scientists at the UN, what would it take to reach those levels that the climate environmental campaigners want? And the UN said it would take quite a bit. In fact, it would pretty much destroy our current way of life and it would reshape the entire world. And Some people at the World Economic Forum said, hey, that sounds good. We'd like some of that. That works really well. Let's have a pandemic, and then let's have a war, and then let's have a climate disaster. And maybe we'll have Russian hackers take down infrastructure as well. And this will allow us to reset the world. Uh, The reality is, if you implemented the Paris deal entirely, totally implausible, totally improbable, totally unrealistic. No country is going to do exactly what they say as 100% efficiently as they could. People are not going to to halt their lives like lockdown worse and worse every year. Lockdowns would have to get worse and worse and worse every year for this problem to be solved over the next 100 years. Quality of life would be reduced, and you'd have to spend upwards of $2 trillion you know, just for the, the initial climate pact in Paris. The U.S., I think it's estimated, would have to spend $5 trillion a year to meet these goals. Frankie the dinosaur is right. That's a lot of money that we could be using to help build infrastructure and help bring technologies to poor countries that would allow them not to become these welfare states of the West, but so that these countries could develop the infrastructure and the education, have the sanitation, the water quality, and and the food access that we have in the developed world that would lift them out of poverty And then they would have more money to focus on things like the environment and more money to put toward things like innovation and adaptation to environmental issues. Frankie the Dino is right. A lot of money, but rather than spending it on carbon dioxide emissions, we should probably spend it on lifting the rest of the world out of poverty like we've been so successful at over the last 100 years where poverty and illiteracy have been sliced in half. Our lifespans have more than doubled and we have less deaths from natural disasters, we live longer, we have less disease, and we have more food than ever, and all the promises of economic, social, cultural, and environmental disaster we've been promised since the 60s, none of it came true, and now they're pushing another one by 2030. We're all going to die. It's an extinction. Let's use all of our wealth to reshape the planet. So we can save ourselves and not become the dinosaurs. And when you think about all of this, you know uh, our our guest this evening, Joseph Lavelle. When you think of this, Joseph, you think of all this money, all this time and effort we spend on this when we could be focused on other things. And you, and you think of the effects that not climate change, but the effects of not allowing the developing world to develop and allowing them to remain poor—the very opposite of climate justice—because. African nations in particular are going to suffer the most if they're unable to develop poverty, disease, starvation, and death. This is basically rich countries telling poor countries, don't exploit your forests, don't exploit your oceans, don't exploit your land. And they're doing so by basically, I think, instituting a policy of imperialism, it sounds like, and telling them that you shouldn't develop infrastructure you shouldn't increase your population. In other words, forcing the entire world to remove meat from the menu, utilize inefficient solar and wind, and taking away things like air conditioners and forcing every developing nation to develop without any carbon emissions, which is not only impractical, in, 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 in it is imperialistic and it is outright insane. It's also anti-scientific and it's also anti-human. What do you think of that?
2: Well, not only that, you could also use that same logic along all of these proposals for the developed countries. I mean like the IEA proposal, if you want to basically do all these things and require more income from advanced economies to go to these companies or these corporations or whoever's pushing all of this green tech, you want all this money to go, this discretionary income to go to these green tech people, you're basically eliminating a lot of this discretionary income from Americans who are actually some of the most general, generous people in the entire world. Uh, I mean, as far as charity goes, Americans give more to developing countries than nation states do. Individual citizens, this isn't even like the federal government giving money to, you know, foreign aid to developing countries. This is charitable organizations within the United States contribute more to developing worlds. So if you take away that income source to basically destroy all this discretionary income by mandate or lockdown, if you don't, you know, threats, if you don't comply, you're basically cutting off the developing world at the knees from you know charitable individuals
5: and that is reprehensible and it's something that when we 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 think about it from this perspective we don't get this perspective in media we don't get this perspective even from opponents to climate change legislation and the paris agreement and and all of these things this is a, a a a fact This is something that is not disputable. When you prevent development and you prevent economic growth and you promote um, the very opposite of that in the name of saving the environment, you are condemning millions, hundreds of millions and billions of people to death. It is a death sentence. The lockdowns thrust hundreds of millions of people into poverty and starvation, according to the United Nations. A virus did not do that. Humans did that. And if we do the same thing in regards to climate that we did with the so-called virus or because of war in Ukraine, it's going to thrust hundreds of millions of more people, maybe even billions of people, into starvation. And that is reprehensible. And the fact that this is very, very easy to see and very much common knowledge and very, very uh, simple to understand shows us that the people that are promoting these things are either so absolutely ignorant and dumb and retarded or they are some of the most evil people that have ever walked this planet because they're doing it in the name of saving those people in the developing world. And that is something I don't think we even have a word to describe. Reprehensible, evil, these words don't adequately describe uh, that ideology, I don't think, Joseph.
2: No, I mean, it's hard to tell whether, yeah, they're just so stupid or pure evil or maybe a little bit of both. Maybe bit they're, of both so yeah. fo- they're so focused on the profit and gaining all of this wealth that they're so focused on that avenue. They don't even think about the other ramifications or consequences. It almost like cuts off a part of your brain when you're focused on greed.
5: Well, it's funny because you have these multinational corporations and you have these big banks and you have these non-governmental organizations And they're all telling us the same thing. They're telling us they care about equality. They care about the environment. But all their policies destroy equality. All their policies destroy the environment. All their policies destroy development and and wealth and getting people out of poverty and getting people educated, making people healthy. All their policies do the exact opposite. I mean, it feels, it sounds, it looks to me like you have multinational corporations, a very small handful overall, big banks, the IMF, the United Nations, the World Economic Forum, and others that are enacting a new form of imperialism and saying, we want zero competition, we want a closed, controlled market, and we are going to be the gods of this new age that we're creating, this new civilization. But first, we have to destroy the infrastructure and we have to destroy the trust in the current system that people have been, especially in the United States, so accustomed to having so much that they need to suffer because their wealth has caused suffering in the rest of the world when it's actually the very opposite. More wealth means more wealth for everybody. I don't care if Elon Musk has more money than me. The fact that I have more money than my ancestors did and I have more wealth and more access to things, we take, I mean, think about it, we take for granted electricity, we take for granted running water, we take for granted things that, in developing countries, they don't have those things. In 2022, they don't have those things in, in developing countries. We take that for granted, and that is going to be our downfall if we are not careful and don't realize this.
2: Right. Anybody who identifies with this ideology, take a, take a look around your room right now. What do you have that didn't get there from oil? Everything in our economy pretty much exists because of oil. We have all of the things, the device you're listening to this show on, that was probably shipped overseas from halfway across the world, all thanks to oil. There's no such thing as an electric plane that can fly all of these goods and services across the world. There's so many different avenues in which oil runs through our entire economy and gets everything that we have and we take for granted everything in that room you're sitting in right now has come to you because of the miracle of oil and would we rather give everything up even the building that you're sitting in right now just so that you could save the planet and maybe you'll be exposed to the elements and perish all for the good of the planet, which is totally in, in totally Adam- asinine, <laughs> right?
5: And that's that's the thing we we need that context and we need that perspective. These are things that that we're not told. Uh, we're just it's it's I think it's just a bit of a misnomer to say we've been lied to. We we've been misled in a way that our perceptions have been molded to match the ideologies of big corporations and big banks and non-governmentals and I think we just lost Joseph there, and think tanks, etc. The idea that all these alternative energies can just replace oil and coal overnight is a ludicrous assumption that people make. At the moment, wind produces less than seven percent of all US electricity as of twenty eighteen. Two percent is produced by solar. That means of electricity, on average, in the 21st century, moving into 2022-2023, about 90-plus percent of it is still produced through fossil fuels. And even by 2040-2050, it's estimated might be 15-20% produced by renewables. Renewable energy sources uh, don't produce a lot of energy because the technology although it may, might be there in, in some respect. It, it's not being implemented or it's not there. It's not developed. Uh, a great example comes from the European Union. Over the, the same time period, about 2018, 14% of the energy in the EU was produced through renewables. But, Joseph, what they don't tell you about the European Union is that a percentage of that, 2.7%, came from solar and wind, but 10% came from from what they call biomass. And biomass is a fancy word for wood, which is a renewable resource. And in the EU, that 10% that made up the renewable energy that they call biomass came from wood that was imported from the United States in ships that were powered with diesel fuel that emit more carbon dioxide than coal when it's burned. So a crackerjack job of using renewables Wood and shipping it across the ocean from the United States in diesel fueled ships might sound good. We use biomass. Well, you're actually creating more of a problem using that and shipping that wood in from the u s you know than you would if you'd be burning coal for that matter, which is an astounding thing to think the 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 inconsistencies, the context the this stuff is really just stunning and fascinating to me, Joseph. I want to thank you for coming on the show tonight. We've only got about a minute or so you want to provide some final comments to the audience?
2: Well, the, I mean, the good news is most of these policies don't come to fruition. Like the IEA 10 points, they say this all needs to be implemented in four months. Well,
6: yeah,
3: the not person happen.
2: doesn't give a damn about stopping driving right now. They got to get to work. They got to continue to feed their families. And at the end of the day, I think people pursuing their own self-interest and they actually take it upon themselves to make a difference when they can they recycle they actually do care about you know leaving the world a better place than they found it you know that's the good news is people continue if people continue to go down this path that we have been as humans trying to continue to improve efficiency and better ourselves better the planet better the lives of others then i don't think a lot of these policies will be able to be enacted 100%.
5: No, they're totally impractical. They're asinine, some of them. And I think it's more about conditioning us to have less, conditioning us to live in a completely different world. Not that that world's going to be experienced by us or our children, but they're planting the seeds of an artificial transition, which we saw with lockdowns with COVID, We're seeing partially with oil and gas prices and what's going on in Ukraine. And we're seeing with uh, the idea that the climate is changing rapidly. We need to do something. You're right. A lot of this stuff isn't actually being implemented, but the ideas are still being planted. And those are dangerous ideologies that over generations will grow into something that might be devastating. Not because of the climate, but because of the reaction to these things that we have today. Devastating for future generations. Uh, generations. Joseph, thank you so much for coming on the show.
2: Thanks for having me on, Ryan. Appreciate it.
5: Yep, you have a good night. And also, by the way, uh, out there just east of you, not to give away your location, but east of you in Idaho, they, they actually built not electric planes, but nuclear-powered planes back there in, I think, the 40s and 50s near the Idaho National Laboratory. Uh, interesting little piece of history. I'm Ryan Gable. This is The Secret Teachings. Thank you so much for tuning in. To the broadcast, leave us a review on the podcast radio player that you're listening to the show on. Please, if you're interested in the advertisement-free archive with all of our shows, montages, digital books, you can download the shows, again, ad-free, get a private RSS feed, www.thesecretteachings.info. Subscribe today, support The Secret Teachings, grab a copy of one of my books, read reviews on the website, Occult Arcana. The Technological Elixir, which, by the way, all this stuff tonight, it's in The Technological Elixir, and Food Philosophy. TheSecretTeachings.info, RDGable at Yahoo.com. The music tonight, White Bat Audio. I'm Ryan Gable. That's Joseph Lavelle. Thank you for listening. Thank you for tuning in. Stay safe, stay informed, stay healthy, and we'll talk to you on the next broadcast.